Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast with with more celebrities than the inauguration, and uh, the podcast that loves you right here in the genie bottle. I am your hostess, your groove mistress, your cruise director, and spiritual advisor, Madam Perry. But you can call me Jan, Jennifer, JP, uh, Perry. It's all good to me. So, want to say first of all, if you're listening live tonight, and this is February 10th, 2020, 8 p.m. Eastern, uh, which I think is GMT minus 5. I am thrilled to have you here, and I'm, I'm just thank you all so much for all the support you give the show. You know what? If you're listening live on Blog Talk Radio and you've never subscribed, there's a little kind of a hot azalea pink rectangle with white letters that says follow. Please click that um, or whatever whatever platform you prefer to listen to podcasts on, subscribe there because the fact that so many people are subscribing and downloading because, you know, you can listen again later, uh, you help me to continue to have so many fantastic guests on like we've been having. They've got coming up and like I have tonight, and that's thanks to you. Also to the people who leave messages or reviews on Apple iTunes or on the Stitcher page, I really appreciate that. Thank you so very much because, again, that helps me to know what you like. People tell me they like having people on or like when the guests are someone that they know and even someone they don't know, they learn something new. Um, as you know, recently I've had a lot of people on, and I've got some more coming up, that are going to be at Wild Wild West Con in Tucson next month, March 5th through 8th. Now, that is like a totally immersive steampunk convention in the Wild West. It takes place in Tucson, in the Old Town Tucson, which used to be a set for films, television shows, but now it's a tourist attraction. But once a year, on a weekend, the first weekend in March, is the steampunk, the Wild West steampunk folks, Descend upon it. This is my third year being asked to come and do a presentation on podcasting, or as we called it there, mastering uh, wireless messages and entertainment over the ether or something. Um, but uh, tomorrow night I've got Paige Gardner. She's going to be there. She's a fantastic maker. If you see this woman's costumes, they're, they're just otherworldly. Uh, last week we had Doc Stone, which is Wheeler Stone. He makes all sorts of uh, corsets and uh, props and things he's done for television and film as well as um, acting in, in a film himself and let's see who else do we have coming up oh yeah Tobias Wolf is going to be there from Springform Studio you've seen him in his spring-loaded uh, shoe attachments Thomas Williford well-known maker and he was a judge on the series game show network series steam punked uh, let's see oh yeah and yes I did get a comment from uh someone that I call Doc Stone, the steampunk Blake Shelton. But if you see that picture of him, you can't say anything about that, you know. So anyway, um, Wild Wild West Con is the greatest. It's my happiest time of the year. Anyway, 
Uh, coming up soon also will be Poison Garden. That's the Italian steampunk band that's going to be there at Wild West Con this year. Also, Jeff Carlisi from 38 Special. You know he was here a month ago, and he's already uh, said he wants to come back. So Jeff Carlisi's coming. Plus, Moses Moe from Mother's Finest uh, is going to be here in a couple of weeks. He's also in Atlanta. He was on my television show about 20 years ago in Atlanta, so he's going to be here on Madam Perry Salon, the podcast. Also, Liana Renee Heber, uh, writer and actress. So it's going to be so much fun. Now, I have gotten so many messages about tonight's guest. Everybody is as excited as I am. And the guest himself is, is just fascinating. I've listened to his interviews with other people. I've checked out all his work, his books. I'm ordering some more tonight myself because they're, I, I'm just fangirling, aren't I? But he's a, a, a writer, a script a consultant. He's written for television, for film. He's got uh, books that cover a gamut of things that have to do with the arts, things that have to do with humor, uh, music. I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you his website so that you can go through his entire resume because it's a lot for me. But you know this man's work, and tonight we're here to talk about his newest book, which is called Music is Power. And it is about the powerful message people have sent through the music they've written, the lyrics. Uh, and sometimes without even, even writing a song or singing it, have made a big effect on people, not just uh, socially conscious things, but just people's attitudes or uh, how they perceive someone's words. But in this book, Music at Power, we're going to go on a guided tour of the past hundred years of politically conscious music. So if you've been seeing, I've been putting up the videos, I've been sharing pictures, I've been giving you all kind of information. It goes from reggae, country, metal, rap, punk, psychedelia, folk, soul, and demonstrates the power of musicians to use their their words and the strong feelings about a situation to try to make a change in the world. And so let me welcome Brad Schreiber, author of Music is a Power. Brad, welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Well, thank you very much. It's very nice to be here in your spring-loaded shoe attachment salon. <laughs> I mean, i got to wear one of those. It, uh, it, it would work really well in Los Angeles because it's really crowded here, and I would love a spring-loaded shoe to just get people out of my way. I'm going to send you a picture to buy us. Uh, Tobias is very famous for the the yeah. uh, this spring level. It's like an attachment that goes to the shoes, and it's, it it shows. There's a photo of him jumping about a couple of feet off the, the floor. Great. And so, can you uh, can gonna, you also ask Tobias to make one for the front bumper of my car because people drive really stupidly in Los Angeles, and I'm I'm kind of running out of patience, madam. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, you know, just a I bumper that people... would like spring like. <laughs> 10 feet and knock somebody out of your way. Be very helpful. Anyway, we should talk about music is power, but I, I wanted to throw that out immediately. I was very fascinated by that. <laughs> well, you know what? I'll go ahead and ask Tobias about that and see what he can have Please ready do. for me before we get to um, that. You know, I've often heard uh, 
her people call Atlanta the L.A. of the South, but I've wondered mm-hmm. if that was really because of the traffic or something. So. <laughs> I, I think that Atlantans are infinitely more polite than people in Los Angeles, but, you know, there's a lot here, and, of course, the music industry is centered here, and last night was the Oscars, and um, I can't help but make a connection between what happened last night on the Oscar broadcast and Music is Power. Because, you know, having moments where very influential people in major Hollywood movies don't thank the people in the movies, but take a moment to talk about where we are in the world and trying to leverage their three moments in front of a billion people to talk about how Mm -hmm. we need to respect other people and, and how we're losing our democracy and how we need to band together and fight for the rights of all people which is, you know, basically what happened with Joaquin Phoenix, I think is a wonderful moment. And the reason Mm -hmm. I wrote Music is Power, actually, is because I felt that people have no respect, and rightly so, for Washington, D.C. Our country has failed us in many ways, and I think that music has a, a marvelous effect that motivates people I mean, you saw it with Eminem, you know, doing his song from 8 Mile, and they take shots of people in the audience, and they're mouthing the words. That kind mm-hmm, of commitment, mm-hmm. that kind of love of the musical process is something that we can use to get people to sort of fight the power, as it were, and to accomplish the things mm-hmm. we need to accomplish, and thus you get music as power. And 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 what a powerful book it is. I think there were chapters, things where I would just stop and go over and over something else. And then I would always stop. And this is one of the wonderful things about technology today. I could just stop and listen to the music uh, yeah. or, or the uh, of the artists that you're talking about in here. So when um, you the book begins really more like in the um, – Oh, help me! Help me here. I got the forties, fifties. Um, oh no, with uh, we, Joe Hill. We, yeah, no, Joe Hill four. goes back. Okay. Joe Hill goes back to nineteen fifteen, when um, he was a Swedish American who was a labor organizer, and he was falsely accused of murder in Salt Lake City, and he was executed before a firing squad in nineteen fifteen, even though uh, people all over were coming to his defense. And his famous parting words before they took him out to the firing squad were, don't mourn, organize. And, you know, mm-hmm. Joe Hill also wrote, a lot of people don't know this, Joe Hill wrote an amazing song called The Rebel Girl. And, and it was, you know, for a woman he loved who was trying to get him out of jail, named um, Elizabeth Gurley Flynn. She was one of the founders of the IWW, the labor um, union, and she became one of the founders of the American Civil, Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. And for her, he wrote this song, Rebel Girl, that talked about men and women standing side by side to fight for the rights of workers. And it's not only an early socio-political song, madam, it's, it's maybe one of the first feminist songs, and it was written by a man. But, um, you know, in the book, of course, I have other, you know, great feminist songs like Janice Ian's Society's Child and Leslie Gore's mm-hmm. You Don't Own Me. So, 
So um, that's that's where we start the 19 teens and the labor songs, and then we move through every kind of music, as you noted earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because be, I think chapter one is like Joe Hill, um, Bill Oaks, what, Woody Guthrie. Oh no, Bill Oaks is more in chapter two, but Joe Hill, Woody Guthrie, Peach Seeger. Yeah. Yeah, we're, you know, that's the first thing that people think of, you know, when they think about what they call protest music. I don't like the term protest music because um, I I think it has some sort of negative connotation. Mm -hmm. I like socially conscious, you know, or socially Mm -hmm. motivated. Uh, Social justice, that's what we're talking about, you know, making the world better. And some of the uh, artists in Music is Power wrote only one song. They only created or sang one song, but it was very important. Like Leslie Gore's You Don't Own Me. Do you know who her producer was? The guy who went to bat for her because she was just singing songs in the early 60s about Johnny breaking her heart and she went home crying. Her producer had only been in the music industry a couple years was Quincy Jones. And Quincy Jones went to the label and insisted that she do this beautiful song about uh, men pushing around women. And it's about female independence. And even today you see it pop up on commercials and in movies. Um, And it was different from everything else that she did in her career. But it's great that she did that song. Wow. You know, we forget, or at least I forget. How uh, Quincy, you know, he worked, wasn't he the band leader for some of the Rat Pack when they performed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I love digging into some of these stories. It goes way back. Yeah, it goes way back, and, and, and it's wonderful to see that you don't have to spend your whole career like a Pete Seeger or a Joan Baez, although they're remarkable people. You can choose to do one or two songs, and if you have influence, you can go to your label and say, you know, I made you guys plenty of money. I want to do this because it's important. Mm. And which, uh, at one time, it wasn't very easy to do, was it? You know, the label was was all powerful, whereas now people can get their work out yeah. on their own yeah. via the Internet. Mm. Yeah, that's what happened um, with Janice Ian and, and Leslie Gore. They had to fight against... Um, um, an industry that then didn't really care for female singer-songwriters. They wanted to give the women singers the material and tell them what to do. And obviously, thankfully, that has changed in the industry. I think it's sort of like, and this might have been the title of her book, but um, Edie Adams said she was told, given one directive, wear a pretty dress and sing a pretty song. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, and and that was what they saw. That was what she was supposed. That was her job. Well, you know, don't, you know step, don't get outside the lane. Yeah, exactly. Stay in your lane, sort of thing. Um, you know, someone like Marvin Gaye. Okay, you think about you know, socially conscious soul music like What's Going On, that beautiful suite that he did. Well, he had to go to Barry Gordy, who was the head of Motown Records, and he said, "I've got this song, and it's part of a suite." And I want to do it. And Barry Gordy's like, no, forget it. All that protest stuff doesn't sell. And remarkably, an in-house producer said to Marvin Gaye, 
look, we're going to press 100,000 singles of what's going on and see how it does, and we're not going to tell Barry. And they released it, and it was a huge hit. So Barry Gordy was angry, but he also saw that um, with his soulfulness and his insistence that something be done about the chaos of the 60s, -hmm. he said to Marvin Gaye, okay, you can do your album, What's Going On, but I'm only going to give you 30 days to have all the songs written, to record it, to mix it, to do the cover Mm. art, and then we'll release it. 30 days, that's all you got. And Marvin Gaye, I still can't believe this, but I double-checked it, had 10 12-hour sessions and finished that album. And today, of Mm. course, it's a landmark. He did it in in, uh, 120 hours. He did it in less than the 30 days that Barry Gordy mandated. It's unbelievable. Yeah, well, he was he was definitely driven to do that album, wasn't he? He wanted to reach so much further outside. Yeah, of, of what yeah. Barry. It, yeah, I mean, obviously that was um, driven by the Vietnam War, but you know, we've got plenty of things to worry about today, and it's inspiring when you when you see someone like you know, in the epilogue, I talk about some of the more recent artists. We're carrying on, you know, in our stead, you know, to make things better in the world. And Eminem, who was on the Oscars last night, you know, mm-hmm. he did um, he did a fantastic um, um, hip hop piece at the BET Music Awards a couple years ago that took on everything from yeah. Puerto Rico to Colin Kaepernick to the hideousness of of Donald Trump. Um, you know, it, it was phenomenal. <laughs> And it, and it was great to see because sometimes in music, like um, uh, as I talk about in music, it is power. There are genres of music like hip hop, like heavy metal, like punk, that are perfectly suited with with the edge and the anger to talk about the troubles of today. And sadly, I don't think that there there are enough artists who are taking the opportunity to pinpoint what's wrong in our world. And the music that they do, in terms of its sound, is perfectly suited. Hmm. By the way, I have a message uh, or a question or from uh, mm-hmm. Mike in Pennsylvania. And he asked me, he was wanting to talk about the song, uh, Bob Dylan's Hurricane. And he asked, did Dylan visit Reuben Carter in prison before writing the song. He, he certainly knew about Reuben Carter. Uh, it's not one of the songs that I mention um, in the book, but I do have a whole chapter on Dylan. And, um, you know, Reuben Hurricane Carter and, you know, being framed is, um, is there's something classic to it. There's something classic. It, it goes back to what I told you about Joe Hill. And the fact that he was framed as a singer, songwriter, and labor organizer. So, you know, Dylan doing uh, a song about the hurricane is is very much in keeping with um, the standard mm-hmm. of of trying to create justice and also pinpointing when people are are unfairly jailed and accused of of crimes. Um, Dylan, of course, is a guy who changed his direction, and I talk about it in the chapter, Music is Power, why Dylan decided, I want to write more epic songs. 
like Tangled Up in Blue and, and so forth, uh, rather than very overtly political songs, you know, like the early 60s stuff, like Masters of War, you know, and, uh, you know, the, mm-hmm. the John Birch blues song that he wrote. He moved away from it because he was put in a particular, very unpleasant situation where the critics were saying, because you're so phenomenally popular, we want you to answer what all your songs mean, and we want you to tell us how do we solve these problems. And, of course, Bob Dylan was like, that's not my job. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's not up to me to explain mm. my art to you, and it's not up to me to solve all the problems of the world. I'm just trying to make mention of them in the music that I create. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a caller here that's, that's been waiting uh, to talk to you, and welcome to Madam Perry Salon, and uh, this is Jennifer Perry with Brad Schreiber. And do you have a question for Brad? Oh, hi, this Jen. This is Becky. Hey, um, Becky, how you doing? Hi, Becky. I, I'm I'm good. Uh, I was gobsmacked this afternoon because for years I had heard the Kink song "Preservation," and you know it didn't occur to me that that thing is prophetic. I mean, you know, maybe it's talking about somebody else. Um, when they refer to the villain called Flash, who was such a wicked man, he terrorized the people, he broke arms and crushed hands, he ruled with a fist, and he purchased all the land. Then he plowed up the fields and cut down the trees for property speculation, and he did it all for a pot of gold and his own preservation. Yeah. And yeah, what a great, what a great lyric, and, you know, it seems to me, Becky, when when you were saying those words, um, it reminded me a lot of Pete Seeger's work and his mm-hmm. talking, um, uh, and and also, of course, Woody Guthrie, who was a big inspiration to Dylan and Bruce Springsteen, um, where they could talk in a broad way about people who took advantage of others. You know, rather mm-hmm. than citing a specific person, they could talk about, you know, people who didn't treat workers right. Or they could talk about governmental officials who didn't care about, you know, people being healthy or getting a fair shake in life. And that, that's why the Kinks song actually connects back to, you know, early work in the 1940s of, of mm-hmm. Seeger and, and, and some of those other people, and Baez and Dylan, too. It, it, it just kind of gobsmacked me when I heard it, and I knew you were coming on tonight, and it's like, I, you know, I, I made my own list of people that I thought were powerful musicians just because uh, Jennifer will tell you that I live and breathe. You know, it, it, you can take a lot of things away, including chocolate, but cats and music <laughs> probably are going to have to stay. Um, I like that. I like that. More powerful than chocolate, yeah. That's More powerful. Well, I mean, you know, I I I was in Austin when um, the Neville brothers redid Ball of Confusion, mm-hmm. and they said, and we're still chanting in the war. Yeah, exactly. You know? It's just another war. It's the, there's this cycle. Why mm-hmm. do we keep getting involved in wars? The short version is, if you start thinking about war as not a matter of preserving your country, 
but of serving people to make money, you understand mm-hmm. why there will always be wars until you look at the industries that benefit from war. Follow um, the money. Yeah, follow the money. And I love that you brought up Ball of Confusion because, you know, I talk about the, the temptations and and very different from Barry Gordy pushing around Marvin Gaye and then finally giving in on uh, what's going on. Um, you have Norman Whitfield, who was a staff producer at Motown, who mm-hmm. didn't really care about politics, but he thought, well, you know, these kids are singing all these songs about racism and war and poverty. Uh, let's give let's give the Temptations a, a a song to sing, and you know, you got psychedelic soul, as they called it, but in a way, it mm-hmm. also became psychedelic, socially conscious soul. You know, when mm-hmm. the Temptations started doing songs like Ball of Confusion, which, by the way, is one of my favorite songs from that era. Yeah, well, I mm-hmm. I, I I loved when I you know when you when you get that slap right up the side of the head when you hear a song on the radio, yeah. and and I was listening to KGSR the day that they were debuting that album and they mm-hmm. had the the Neville Brothers on and that one line it's like, mm-hmm. you know, we were we were back in Iraq, uh, yeah. And I was just, you know, I was floored, and it it, it raised, you know, the the songs before Ball of Confusion and the, the for what it's worth, and mm-hmm. so many of the songs of the '60s raised a generation's consciousness and, and gave us anthems back then, and yeah. and here they are, we're coming back. Yeah. Well, there's a chapter in, in Music is Power about, um, well, there, I talk about Green Day and their album American Idiot, which went on to be a huge musical on Broadway and then toured the world. And that mm-hmm. was after our involvement with Iraq. But in the same chapter, I talk about the Dixie Chicks, who didn't do a song criticizing George W. Bush. They were merely at a concert in London Ten days mm-hmm. before the invasion, and Natalie Maines went on stage, as you probably remember, and said, "We want you all to know that we're ashamed that the president of the United States is from our our state of Texas." And of course, everybody in London whooped it up and thought that was great because ninety percent, nine zero percent, of the mm-hmm. entire population of the United Kingdom was against the war. Yeah, but. But you know that the Dixie Chicks were attacked by the country music establishment, um, the fans, even George W. Bush was making comments about them. And then their follow-up album, they have this amazing song called Not Ready to Make Nice. Absolutely. Which talks about how, they, how mm-hmm. badly they were treated. And then two years later, there's Green Day talking about American Idiot mm-hmm. and criticizing what was a disastrous policy. But when we first entered, everybody was all gung-ho. And then two years later, they stepped back and said, well, let's see, no weapons of mass destruction. Saddam Hussein uh-huh. did not attack us during 9-11. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. we got the wrong story. Maybe this was a mistake. Mm-hmm. And, and it was historically <laughs> Maybe, a huge it- one. And yeah. it's like history, you, when you think it can't repeat itself, it was like, you know, it was like, like John, <laughs> like that innocent 
innocent offhand comment. You know what I'm going to say, Brad, and you too, yeah. Becky. Uh, John mm-hmm. Lennon. Well, it's like we're more popular than Jesus, and then everybody went nuts. <laughs> you know, burn the records, whatever. Listen, mm-hmm. I've got um, Alan in North Carolina is also waiting, calling. But first, I got to do a uh, commercial for a fantastic sponsor we have tonight. So, Becky, I'm going to mute you and. Uh, and if you want to hold on and listen here, that's fine. Or if you've got something else to say, yeah, we'd love it. So I'm going to mute you. And uh, Alan in North Carolina, you hang on too because I definitely want you. Alan is my friend who he, he is the self-described last aristocratic Southern Democrat. So, Becky, you know, I, we want him on here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so stay with me just a moment. Um, so, everyone, let me tell you. Don't you like to hear nice things said to you? Be your own kind of beautiful. Wake up and win or believe in yourself. Just positive, encouraging messages. Well, let me tell you, there's a company called Daisy Bella. They want you to feel good because their T-shirts and hoodies are made of 100% heirloom combed and ring-spun cotton hand screen printed using water-based ink and ethically made in wrap certified factories. The t-shirts and hoodies are cute. They have gorgeous graphics and messages. Uh, Follow your dreams. Beautiful girl, you can do amazing things and believe in yourself. And not only that, they also have jewelry, the cutest, cutest bracelets, but they also do something else special. They have their own Women in Need program. And what they do is they support local charities, help uh, women and girls who maybe need shelter, need food, need some uh, they help with school. Maybe they send girls to camp that wouldn't get to go. And 10% of their profits go to these organizations. And the website is daisy, D-A-I-S-Y hyphen Bella. B-E-L-L-A, daisybella.com. Now, for the people who listen, maybe in their car or somewhere, or you're at work, uh, and you can't write this down, you know I'll be sharing this on all of my social media everywhere, so you can always get the website. Plus, better than that, or not better than that, but also very cool, all of my listeners, if you go to the website, daisybella.com, and you shop there, when you get ready to check out, Enter thank you, the T H A N K Y O U, thank you, and the number 2020, and you get a 20% discount because you're one of Madam Perry Salon's listeners, and also because they are just very generous. So, thank you, 20 at daisybello.com. So, go visit them, learn about them. It's a beautiful website, beautiful clothes and jewelry, and they don't just talk about what people should do and about you are enough and be your own kind of beautiful. They also do their part to make it happen for a lot of people. So check out daisybella.com. All right, Brad Schreiber. And by the way, um, if you want to talk to Brad Schreiber, if you got a question or comment, because people have been messaging me all day about him being on here. Just let me know. Uh, call us in. The number is 646-716-9922. I know a lot of you keep the phone number on speed dial, and I thank you very much or for keeping it into your phones, rather. Uh, thank you for keeping the number, but 
you don't have it, it's 646-716-9922. Blog Talk Radio assures me that it is a toll-free call in the continental U.S. But for some people, and Brad, I don't know about you, but I've had these situations where you've got some kind of a job or uh, you're in a place where you can't make a phone call but you've got something to say. Uh, those people can always just send in a message to me on Facebook through Madam Perry Salon or through Jennifer Modette Perry and... That's and we'll make sure we get that too. All right, Brad, you still with me? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, all right. We have here Alan from North Carolina. Alan, welcome back to Madam Perry Salon. You haven't been here in a while. It took I Brad know. Schreiber it's to good to hear. Here. Good to hear your voice, darling. And Brad, nice to meet you. Thank you, Alan. How's everything so this evening? Have you been listening so far? We're I'm, doing pretty good. I've got to admit, I've only tuned in about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I, okay, I was well, late getting home from one of those pesky jobs. Well, tell us, well, Alan. Listen, Alan, where we're, at, where we're at just before you called, we were talking about, um, in Brad's book, Music is Power, the massive, insane backlash to Natalie Maines and the Dixie Chicks, and I was saying, you know, he also mentioned in his book when John Lennon made an offhand remark about, I just like we're more famous than Jesus back in the 60s, and people went nuts. Yeah. Do you remember that, Alan? Oh, yeah. Well, I I remember the Dixie Chicks. I'm not quite old enough to remember the Beatles, but yeah, I do. Um, Yeah. Uh-huh. It, it, it was the Dixie Chicks was a really interesting thing because at the time I was living in my native South Carolina, and these people just went apes over it. And yeah. <laughs> freedom of speech was my first thing. Wait a minute, they can. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny can... you say that. It's funny you say that, Alan, because a guy who you would think is very <laughs> conservative, Merle Haggard, the country music star came out in support of the Dixie Chicks, and his quote was great. It was basically, I don't know anything about the Dixie Chicks, but all I know is they're entitled to freedom of speech just like everybody else in this country. And that was a Mm. real big shot in the arm for them. And and I recommend, Mm -hmm. if you haven't seen it already, that you check out this documentary by Barbara Koppel, who's won two Oscars, by the way, for her documentary work, she followed the Dixie Chicks on that tour when everything went, you know, haywire. And Shut Up and Sing is an amazing documentary. By the way, I, I interviewed Barbara Koppel for Music is Power, and she was one of my favorite interviews. She is so brilliant. Um, so, you know, that chapter means a lot to me because she participated in it. Well, it's 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 odd to, to say I, I had the privilege growing up of meeting – Several uh, country music people. I mean, you know, Merle Haggard. I, I never met him. Met Willie Nelson. Met um, met Johnny Cash. Met Conway Twitty. Mm-hmm. They're not as conservative as most folks would think because yeah. they were coming from the entertainment industry. But the biggest thing was that they grew up. Um, they they grew up hard times, as they used to say. Mm-hmm. And and so they would see. Different sides of the coin. Yeah. Well, you well, know, that's just something that's. Yeah, yeah. 
believe it or not, you know, when I was doing this book, I wanted to have every kind of music. I didn't want to leave out any kind of music. And and while there aren't a lot of country songs um, about very specific political issues, I remembered that when I was just a wee lad, there was a singer named Jeannie C. Riley who did a song called Harper Valley PTA. PTA, yeah. Oh, yeah. You might remember that. It was her only hit, oh, but yeah. it was enormous. She sold like three million copies of that record, and it was about hypocrisy in small-town America. The, the song was you know, accusing a mother of wearing her, her skirts too short, and she she drops into the PTA meeting uninvited and starts pointing to all the members <laughs> of the PTA. Oh, you're the one who's nipping at gin, and you're the one who leaves your blinds up and walks around naked. And how come your secretary the had to leave town? You know, how come your secretary left town so quickly? So Jeannie C. Riley yeah. had, had a terrific hit. But I would take and it a Mr. step Baker, further because can you tell us why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your secretary I, take had it. to leave this town. There you go. Go ahead. I'd take, it a, I'd take it a step further in that so much cultural, cultural, political issues were brought up in country music, whether you thought about it at the time or not. Mm-hmm. Don't come home wanting loving with uh, don't come home with drinking with loving on your mind. Yeah. Stand by your man. <laughs> yeah, you those know, a lot were very of, lot personal. Of, <laughs> But a lot of the older country music stuff was about hard times and about people trying to just live in d- despite of socioeconomic conditions or yeah, that's right. You know, it, it was it was something, and those were such big hits because they spoke to people. Yeah, if you watch the Ken Burns series, country music. Uh, some of their lives were just the, these stars, these country stars. Their lives were fascinating, what they had to go through, like you said. And um, I think poverty was reflected, you know, as a social issue in a lot of country music. But, um, you know, obviously we think about the 60s and we think about, you know, rock and roll and we think about, well, like Pink Floyd and Jimi Hendrix are in one chapter in Music is Power. And, you know, I wrote a book called um, Becoming Jimi Hendrix uh, a while ago. And you don't think necessarily of Jimi as a political guy, but then you think about his playing the Star Spangled Banner at Woodstock and how moving that was Mm -hmm. and the sounds of bullets and bombs. And all of a sudden you go, whoa, this is a song not only about pride in America, which we all have, but about war. And it does it without any lyrics, which is very rare. And well, in the summer of 1969, my father was in Vietnam, and he was in the Marines, and there was a 50% mortality rate. Oh. And so wow. for him to be playing that with arguably uh, an anti-war crowd, yeah. but it spoke to the guys – Overseas, I, I remember my dad said that they didn't announce in Vietnam that the Beatles had broken up. Mm. He found out when he got home because they were the the feds were were fearful that there would be some sort of reaction to the troops. Right. That the right. Beatles had broken up. Hey, I got a pop quiz for you and Madam. What sure. was the what was the most popular song 
for the GIs in Vietnam. What, what song on American radio was the most popular song amongst the soldiers in Vietnam? Hmm, I'm going to oh. go to uh, Mark, take a step. Go ahead, Bob, you first. I, I've got mine in my head. What do you think? All right, was it uh, – I'm trying to think. Songs that time that were popular, I remember uh, Battle of the Green Berets, and I remember Eve of Destruction. And uh, Becky, what do you remember? Um, Mar- Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Yeah, well, I remember What's Going On. And well, Mar- Ball yeah, Confusion. those are all songs. Those are all songs that that um, I talk about in Music is Power. Um, mm-hmm. But the most popular song, and boy, is this ironic, was Eric Burden and the Animals singing We Gotta Get Out of This Place. Yep. That makes sense. Oh. You well, know, they once were drafted. You think about it. They, this, yeah. you know, they, they, were, they weren't sent over on their own volition, nope. and the average age of death there was 19. Exactly. By the mm. way, there's a great song called 19 that talks. Yep. Exactly. I, I remember there. that. Remember that song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul Hardcastle. Yeah, Paul Hardcastle. And, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the other song? That, it was early 80s, um, Still in Saigon. Yeah, Still in Saigon in my mind. It was Charlie Daniels. Yeah. That was a big song, and I remember... Having the cassette tape or having it on the radio or something, and my dad mm-hmm. said, turn that off. Uh, yeah. yeah. But how ironic, you know, to, to be listening to We Gotta Get Out of This Place because they wanted to get the hell out of there. Oh, my yeah. God. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, you notice that broke. And I just want to go home. Yeah. You yeah. notice that mm-hmm. broke the draft, the protests of Vietnam which was driven by music, if you think about it, yeah. broke the draft. We don't have people drafted. We have young men registering in case they need a draft, but they're not drafting people mm. to war anymore. It's a voluntary <sighs> army, and it's driven in a lot of cases by student debt. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. And, and Eva Destruction was just mentioned. So I talk about the songwriter named P.F. Sloan, Phil Sloan. And boy, is this ironic. He writes in 1965, um, Eve of Destruction. It goes to number one, but he's criticized by other rock musicians because they thought it was too on the nose. And the song complained about everything from false religiosity to the war. And you know who criticized him? Paul Simon, John Lennon, and Paul McCartney of the Beatles. And I talk about Phil Sloan's life, which was incredibly hard. He should have been one of the the biggest songwriters in the music industry. And you know, he he went a little mm-hmm. mad. He went a little mad because he was attacked by so many people for writing what became a number one hit. It's completely crazy. P.F. Sloan. Yeah, there is a a writer in Australia, uh, Errol Burrow, who. Uh, writes a very popular series of dystopian novels, and that is the uh, music that plays on her website when when you pull it up. Eve of Destruction, the Barry Maguire. Yeah. To I, okay, I've got to admit, I didn't really know that much about the Dead Kennedys until yep. I read about them in Music and is Power. 
Yeah, well, I'm trying so, to cover every kind of music, and I I get that not everybody listens to every genre. But the Dead Kennedys, um, actually, I lived in San Francisco when that punk band was popular. And uh, they were really in your face, and they, they talked about Cambodia and the terrible you know genocide over there with the Khmer Rouge during the Vietnam War days. And uh, they were they were really outlandish, but their lead singer went by the name of Jello Biafra, and he was very outrageous but very intelligent, and and wrote some songs that weren't typical at all because punk music seemed to be about anger, but it would be about you know we hate everything and let's kill ourselves and well gosh if you're that angry great sing about what pisses you off in life don't just say you know nothing matters. Um, so the Dead Kennedys were kind of unusual for punk music. They they made a point to attack things they didn't like. And uh, Jell Biafra, I don't know if you know this, madam, he ran for mayor of San Francisco, and he came in <gasps> yeah. and he came in fourth. He came in fourth. He actually beat a field of like uh, <laughs> you know twelve people. He came in fourth. He was uh, very outrageous. <laughs> Yeah. So I like I like talking about the bands that maybe you you haven't heard of, but they were actually very cool. Um, you know, obviously you've heard of Black Sabbath. Well, Black Sabbath accidentally mm-hmm. wrote the first heavy metal, socially conscious song, War Pigs. They were going to mm-hmm. do a song called Walpurgis, which is this old pagan holiday, and they thought it sounded, you know, really dark and creepy and satanic. And the record label said, oh, no, you're not. You're not doing that on, on our <laughs> label. And so it, it, was, it, was like a, it was like a parody of, of, a, of a heavy metal band. They went, oh, Walpigish. Uh, sounds like Warpigs. Yeah, let's do a song called Warpigs. <laughs> yeah, we'll say that the military is, they're like demon pigs. And they stumbled onto this idea. And to this day... Rock rock critics say it's the best metal song ever recorded. Not the best metal protest song, but the best metal song ever recorded, War Pigs. So, you know, sometimes these bands weren't very committed. They stumbled onto their consciousness about politics, but we'll take it, you know. Yeah, I know. That, and, of course, one thing that set the, the Kennedys apart were the fact that they were they had good musicians in the band. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I think that, so that it's, it's true that sometimes um, metal or punk, especially punk, wasn't about musicianship. It was almost like performance mm-hmm. art. And along with the Dead Kennedys, madam, in that in that chapter, you know, you have the Sex Pistols from England, who, and it's fascinating. I, I won't go into it completely but when you read music is power you'll see they had a manager who didn't care at all about music he just wanted them to be outrageous and get arrested because it would sell more records so mm-hmm. so punk in england became almost like performance art not really about anything specifically and it was fascinating and it spiraled out of control and that that chapter was really fun to write because their story is very outrageous yeah, I was I was 
really taken aback how much I didn't know. My, you know, my husband was playing in punk and new wave bands at the time. You know, he knew the music more, but I hadn't met him yet. But, yeah, when I started reading, and then, yeah, when Jello Biafra ran for uh, mayor of San Francisco yeah. and said he was going to have, uh, what, Dan White statues? Yeah, yeah, Dan White, who, who <laughs> supervisor who killed uh, a, a supervisor and the mayor of San Francisco. Yeah. I was I was living up there, like I said, and it, people were walking around stunned because in in one month in November of 1978, you had a supervisor kill Mayor Moscone and Supervisor Milk, and then you had Jonestown in Guyana, you know, where all these mm-hmm. people were were killed. You know, you need to you need to research that. People go, don't drink the Kool Aid. They didn't do it voluntarily. Those people were shot mm-hmm. and injected against their will by a crazy guy who had a who had a connection to the CIA. But that's a whole other story. <laughs> well, okay. Speaking of against someone's will and a misconception, um, yeah. I wasn't going to bring this up yet, but because of that. One of my favorite singers, I knew mm-hmm. that she passed very young, I think, what, in her, early in her 40s, or uh, not quite 40, 37. And please correct me if I say your name, if I mispronounce her name, but Elise Regina. Yeah, you know her music? I am so happy to hear that. You know, she was um, this oh. Brazilian singer, Elise Regina, had this incredible joy in her voice. And she was okay. Let me put it this way for your for your listeners: in the UK and the US, you know, music. There are so many different bands and so many different stars. In Brazil, she was as big as Elvis or the Beatles or Barbara Streisand or anybody you want to name. She was incredibly well loved, and the government became a military dictatorship, and they made Elis Regina in a stadium supporting the government even though she didn't want to they threatened her mm-hmm. when that happened madam she lost all of her fans and and it wasn't her fault she was basically being threatened by a military dictatorship and sadly she she took some pills and alcohol and it probably was an accident but she was very depressed but it's e-l-i-s-r-e-g-i-n-a and I'm telling you, people, you know, go on Spotify and listen to some of her, her music. It's so joyful and beautiful. A really a remarkable woman. I think the first thing I remember hearing of hers was it's her duet with Tom Jobim, August DeMarco. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, well, they recorded together, and there's a part toward the end where she just starts, you know, really enjoying it. starts laughing and giggling a bit. And I just thought yeah. that just gave me, I just felt like, she was just this, like you're just a joyous person, just a person with a mm-hmm. lovely soul and spirit. That she was, she was still doing the job, but she, they were having fun together. And that yeah. made me start to listen to more and more of her work. And just what a sad story. Yeah, but uh, but her music is fantastic. My favorite song of hers is called Zazuera, and I've just I've never heard any singer sound quite <laughs> like her. But you know, we before we end this, you know, we've got to give props to, you know, Atlanta and Georgia because that's where you're at. Ah, uh, yes. I know your show is all over the world on the web, but what about mm-hmm. James Brown of Augusta, GA? 
He's in the book. James you got to have James Brown. Brown. I'm black and I'm proud, you know. Say it loud. Say it loud. And, you know, that was an anthem Say for an entire loud. race of people, you know, during a time where racism was just everywhere in, in the country. And it wasn't being hidden at all. And, you know, he he was incredibly influential. And I talk about one major bad decision that James Brown made that began his downward mm-hmm. spiral. And that was because James Brown was from South Carolina. You know, Alan's from South Carolina, right? He he had right. driven, he had lived through such poverty, and he wanted respect, and he respected other people. And he wanted to make President Richard Nixon say, I am going to work to create a Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Well, he met with Nixon. Nixon did nothing to create a King national holiday. It was Stevie Wonder years later who did it. And sadly, when his photo was taken with Nixon, all of his fans started deserting him. And coincidentally, Mm -hmm. that's when the drinking and the drugs started. And he went downhill, but he was trying to do the right thing and gain that holiday for Martin Luther King. I've got another caller here. Uh, Welcome to Madam Perry Salon, and you're on the air with me and Brad Schreiber. Hello. Hey there. Hi. Hi, Jennifer. This is Joe Milliken. Hello. Joe Milliken. How are you? Hey, Joe. (laughs) Joe was just on the show up. Well, actually, back in November, I should remember, 11-11, he wrote the book on uh, Benjamin Orr from The Cars. Oh, wonderful. That's right. Um, Yeah, I'm sorry I'm coming in so late to the show. Um, I was not at home, and so I don't know what you've already talked about on the show. I'm, of course, going to go back and listen to it um, once the link gets posted so I can enjoy the entire show. Um, But I did want to call in quick and and ask a quick question. I didn't know about your um, Becoming Jimi Hendrix book. Yeah. And I just kind of Googled it quick to to take a look at it to see what it was about, and I find it rather interesting that it seems that the book concentrates on his early life before he went to London and was discovered and became famous. So I thought that – I think that's a really interesting angle, and – I find a little bit of a parallel with the book I wrote, or I'm trying to find a parallel. I wrote a book about Ben Orr, and of course I wrote it after he had passed away. So obviously you can't interview the man himself because he's already gone. And when I went to try to research early in his life, I found it really difficult to come up with information and find people that knew him in his early life and it took me a really long time to kind of piece yeah. together how his early life happened. Yeah. So the parallel is I'm trying to I, – I wanted to ask you um, how that all came about for you, and was it difficult for you to come up with stuff in his early life and be able to find people to talk to that knew about him in his yeah. early life? Well, thanks, thanks for that question. It came to me in a very strange way, Mr. Milliken. It came to me because – a guy who had done tons of research but wasn't a writer, Stephen Roby, came to me and said, I've got all this research and I've done a bunch of interviews about the early years of Jimmy, but I don't know how to write a book. Do you want to like write it for me and we'll split it? 
And that's exactly ah. what happened. And we discovered things that have never been written about Jimmy before, including the fact that he and Billy Cox, who he met when he was in the 101st Airborne at Fort Campbell, mm-hmm. Kentucky, they were going to Nashville and looking at all the civil rights demonstrations in the early 60s. And nobody had known this. Jimi Hendrix and Billy Cox sat down in a whites-only section of a lunch counter in Nashville and purposely got arrested to protest. Wow. And they, and they were playing at the house band at a club in Nashville, and the owner bailed them out, but the, the damn guy made them pay, pay him back. So Jimmy wasn't know, known exactly for being you know, very politically out there, but I talk about how some of his songs symbolically talked about the ideas of universal love and respect. And the last thing I'll say about that is I also talk in this book, Music is Power, about the song, Are You Experienced? Think about that song. Who else during the 60s had the nerve to suggest, you know, when there are all these drugs around, hey, you want to do drugs and get a higher consciousness? Fine. But it's not necessary, absolutely, to take drugs to get to a higher plane of understanding. And that's when he wrote that line, not necessarily stoned, but beautiful. But beautiful, right. Nobody, not mm. one rocker ever suggested, hey, it's not about drugs. It's about loving people and treating people right. And you can do that on your own if you want to. Wow. All Very right. interesting. Yeah. That was Jimmy. So you must. So, Joe, thank um, you so you, much for calling. All right. I'm glad I was able to sneak a question in. I also um <laughs> I sent um I sent Brad a friend request on Facebook today. Beautiful. <laughs> so so I could get connected with you cuz I definitely would like to talk to you more about your writing and um I also noticed that your book, the Hendrix book was accepted into um the library at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's true. Oh, it yeah. was accepted there and the New York Times gave us two nice reviews. I'm very proud of it, and, and um, yeah, people can follow me at uh, brashcyber.com. That's my website, and I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all that other stuff, too. Right. Well, I find that especially right. interesting to me because, um, you know, the book I wrote about Ben Orr, he is originally from Cleveland, and I went back to Cleveland um, when the cars got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and um, that is sort of like a little goal of mine to try to get my book where yours is now. So I thought that was Wonderful. a really cool thing. Yeah, well, I appreciate well, I really you appreciate calling you in. taking the time uh, to yeah, talk we'll to me for touch. a minute. I'm, we'll stay in touch. I'm glad I was. Yeah, I'm glad I was able to sneak hey. a question in. And th- thank you so much, Madam Perry, for taking my call. I appreciate it. Joe. You're a sweetheart, and thanks for sending the uh, winning the book to the winner, and I appreciate that, and thank you so much. And also, I'll be sharing all the information on how to find Brad Schreiber's books. This one, uh, all of his books, how to find his website, how to follow what he's doing, to but definitely get the book. Music is power, popular songs, social justice, and the will to change. Uh, Brad, thank you so very much. And yeah, all the callers, the people that meditated. Oh, by the way, he's in Los Angeles right well, now. Maybe you he'll go ahead and make something for your car. Swinging everything you did, you got the job.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 